Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we wrap up our current mini-series from the book of Matthew we've been calling Authority and Power. As Pastor Jeremy walks us through seven warnings that Jesus had for the religious leaders of his day. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Jeremy. I'm I'm excited to be here to jump into week six of a series that you've been going through called Power and Authority, where Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's bumping into all of the powers and authorities of Jesus' day, uh, because I want to set the scene a little bit for the text we're going to jump into. Uh, Matthew is describing what we know is going to be the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus is going to end this week being crucified. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. We know in the text we're going to look at that Jesus isn't just in Jerusalem. He's on the Temple Mount. And we also know that the place is packed. Jerusalem is absolutely packed because this isn't just any week. Jesus is on the Temple Mount in what we know as the week of Passover. And so everybody is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh, There's this ancient historian, a guy by the name of Josephus. Josephus, he estimates that there may have been upwards of 2 million people in Jerusalem for Passover. And now, apologies to any like Josephus Josephus purists in the room. Josephus made the number up, right? Like, number one, Jerusalem doesn't have a guest service team, right? Uh, Where are my guest service team people? Can you imagine standing at the gate in Jerusalem during Passover with your little clicker, right? Like, 765,239, 765,240. They didn't have the clickers in Jerusalem. Josephus is going to look at the packed city and go, we're going to call it around 2 million, right? So he does. But the number doesn't matter. What the number tells us is that Jerusalem is packed. Having been to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is like, it's this kind of, it's this tight, smaller kind of ancient city. This place is absolutely packed. And Jesus, he finds himself in the story on the Temple Mount, and it's almost like all of the religious groups are trying to catch him. They're all trying to trap him in his words. Jesus is almost like, it's almost like he's engaged in this like eight-mile rap battle on the Temple Mount where like uh, the Sadducees come after him, right? And the Sadducees are trying to get him. Uh, they can't get him. And so it's almost like as the Sadducees are trying to get him, the Herodians, they're huddled up in the corner because they want next, And so Jesus quiets this group, and then they come, and Jesus quiets them, and while he's engaged in that, the other group, they're prepping to come try to get him. Because what they recognize is Jesus posed a threat to almost all of them. Uh, To the the Sadducees, uh, Jesus calls out this religious establishment they've created. Uh, Jesus calls out the greed. Jesus calls out the way they've created the temple, the place where the world was supposed to come to meet God, to worship God. Uh, they'd, They'd created it into this system where they were getting rich on even the poorest of the poor. Jesus calls them out. 
to the zealots, the ones who think, well, the kingdom of God will come by whatever means necessary, that the people that resorted often to violence, to force, Jesus says, no, 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 the battle is not yours, uh, the battle is God's. To the Herodians, the ones who've kind of cozied up to Herod, to Rome, Jesus calls them out saying, Herod's not king. Like, if, if God is king over everything, what's left for Herod? The answer, Nothing. And so Jesus uh, keeps bumping into the powers, the authorities, and Jesus is silencing all of them. But there's, there's kind of one group that up to this point has kind of been left a little unscathed. Like, they've been a part of it. They've sent some people to ask some questions, but they've really not been Jesus' target yet. It's this group we know as the Pharisees. So I almost imagine on the temple, like, as Jesus is kind of giving it to all of the rest of them, it's almost like the Pharisees are up against the wall just kind of trying to stay out of it, right? Because it's not gone well for anybody else. But then we get to our text this morning, and it's almost like Jesus hones in, and he focuses right in on the Pharisees, and Jesus has a lot to say. Uh, Jesus is actually going to go into this epic rant uh, that's going to come in a little bit, but you're going to love it. Uh, so we start at Matthew 23. If you want to follow along, uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 23. I will put all of the words up on the screen as well. So let's launch in Matthew 23, starting at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Okay, so Jesus' critique starts. He says, the Pharisees listen to them because they sit on Moses' seat. So what is Jesus saying? What is what is Moses' seat, right? At this point, Moses has been dead for a couple thousand years. Like, how does he still have a chair that's hanging out somewhere, right? Like, what in the world is Moses' seat, and what does it mean that the Pharisees sit on it? Well, to answer that, we need to jump into first century Israel, especially kind of the religious area in the Galilee. If we go to our next, our next slide, we've got a picture of a map. On the map, we have three cities on the top of the Sea of Galilee. These are what we know as the religious triangle. So we have Chorazin, we have Capernaum, we have Bethsaida. The Pharisees, who Jesus kind of, who he's taking aim at, uh, the Pharisees are largely kind of occupied up in the north around the Sea of Galilee. These three cities are the, this is, this is the where's where of the religious Jewish world. Uh, Capernaum? Capernaum is the place that Jesus is going to live during his adult ministry. Bethsaida, uh, Jesus calls a, a handful of disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're from Bethsaida. Now, one of the fascinating things, when you go to any of these cities, especially any, any of the Jewish cities around the Galilee, what you find is there's a commonality among all of them. The community is built around the synagogue. They are a people, their religious life was not just something they did on Sunday. It was something that shaped all of them. Their city, their village, their community was built around the synagogue. 
Uh, one, of, one of my favorite places, uh, one of Tim and my favorite places, is the synagogue in Chorazin. So one of these religious triangle cities, if we go to Chorazin, in the synagogue, we see it looks like this. Uh, and, shameless plug, we're going again in May, and we have a couple seats open. So if, if you want to go there, we would love to bring you. Uh, so this is the synagogue in Chorazin. One of the things you find when you go to the synagogue is there is a seat that stands out in the synagogue. It's in the next picture. Uh, this thing, this funny-looking seat, any guesses what that's called? Moses seat. Well done. I mean, it's kind of queued up for you, but we'll take it. But uh, So this is Moses seat. Why is Moses seat significant? Well, when you would worship in the synagogue, you would, your community would, would, would gather together in the synagogue. At some point, whoever's going to be teaching for the day, uh, they would go and a, a scroll, the Torah, a scroll would be removed from the Torah closet. You, as a community, you would sing, you would dance with the scroll. The scroll would be brought to whoever's teaching for the day, who would sit on Moses' seat, and on Moses' seat, they would teach you the words of Scripture. So when Jesus says, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they sit on Moses' seat, so listen to them. Uh, what are they reading? What are they saying from Moses' seat? The words of Scripture, right? So Jesus saying, the Pharisees, they know their stuff. The teachers of the law, they know the text. They know their Scripture. So when they sit down, when they are on Moses' seat and they are teaching you the ways of the scriptures, listen to them. They know their stuff. They're reading Bible. They're reading the scriptures. They're, they're explaining them. They're expanding on them. Listen to the Pharisees. They know what they're talking about. But Jesus has the critique, right? Listen to them, but don't live like them, because Jesus is going to launch into his critique in the next verse. It says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. Why? Well, Jesus gives it next. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. So the, the what of what they're doing, they're teaching you the scriptures, they're reading the scriptures, listen to them. But their why of what they do it is off. They're not doing what they're doing to try to shepherd the people, to try to bring the people into relationship with God. They are doing what they're doing to try to elevate themselves, right? They're, they're in it for the, the Facebook likes. They're in it for the shares. They're in it to promote themselves at the expense of everyone else. Their why is off. Jesus continues, he says, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Uh, okay, what does that mean? What is a phylactery? Uh, so I have a picture I took last time we were in Jerusalem. Uh, I'll name, I took the picture because the guy's shoes are fire. Do we have any sneaker people in the house? Oh, he's... He's rocking a pair of like off-white dunk lows. They're amazing. So I took the picture because of the guy's shoes. But did you notice around his head, he has like a little black box on his forehead that's wrapped around. And then if you can see by his hand, he's got a little black box on his hand that's also wrapped around his forehead, his, his forearm. 
Uh, those are phylacteries. It's essentially this little black leather box that's going to contain words from Scripture. They're actually commanded from the Torah to wear these. And then tassels. You notice on the corners of his garment, he has those tassels that are hanging down. Uh, the Torah commands you to, to put tassels, seat seat, on the kanaf corners of your garment. So Jesus, Jesus, in his critique of the Pharisees, says, you make your phylacteries wide, they're large, and your tassels long. Why? Well, these are images of what it looks like to be a good religious Jewish person. And so uh, Jesus telling them, all you're about is the appearance. All you're about is trying to look religious among your peers. You're supposed to wear, you're supposed to wear the phylacteries. You're supposed to wear the tassels. But you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Right? You're not doing it to follow Torah. You're not doing it to remind yourself of the scriptures. Of the, you're doing it so that everybody else sees you doing it. Uh, Jesus continues his critique. In the next one, it says, They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They look to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus, in his critique, he says, you're all about your appearance for everybody else. You're all about elevating yourself and your why is off. And then it's at this point that Jesus launches into his rant. Like at this point, like if I'm a Pharisee in this spot, like Jesus is just kind of taking you to task. Like I'm hoping this, I'm, I'm hoping it's gonna kind of settle down. We're coming to an end. But Jesus is going to straight up double down, and Jesus is going to launch into this epic rant against the Pharisees. Uh, let's start it. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Okay, do we notice any repetition? Uh, one of the things to pay attention to as you're reading your text, as you're reading your scriptures, is pay attention to repetition. Because our biblical authors, like, we have ways that we can highlight things, right? Like, we can bold it. We can go all caps. We can, we can use a highlighter. In the ancient world, bold is not an option you have, right? So one of the ways you would focus on something is you would give repetition. You would say something often. You would repeat it. So do you notice the repetition? Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Hypocrite is a word that's going to come up often in Jesus' rant. So I want to play just a little bit with what we mean by the word hypocrite. See, the word hypocrite in the Greek language is this word, hypocrites. Go, go ahead and say hypocrites. Well done. So hypocrites, hypocrite in the Greek, essentially if we translate it, it means actor or quite literally, it means an interpreter from underneath. 
an actor or interpreter from underneath. So what does that mean? Well, in the Jewish world, if your community was centered around the synagogue, right, if, if the synagogue was the center of your life, of your community, what's interesting is if we go to a Greco-Roman city, not a Jewish city, but a Greco-Roman city, one of the things we find in almost all of our significant Greco-Roman cities is this thing, a theater. This is actually from a Greco-Roman city up near the Galilee. And in the theater, what we find is that the Romans loved plays. They loved, they loved to gather together in the theater. They would then have actors who go up on the stage and they would act out a play. And what we found in the Roman theater is often these actors would wear masks, right? And so the role of, a ma- of, a, of an actor is somebody who steps into the role, who interprets from underneath a mask. The word hypocrites essentially just means, it's really kind of a neutral word. It's just someone who mean, who, who's an actor. It's somebody who, who acts something out. And yet Jesus uses the word to critique the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Why? Well, to answer that, I want to show you uh, my favorite hypocrite of this past year, my favorite actor from this past year. Uh, Has everybody seen this movie at this point? Top Gun 2. Show of hands, how how many of you have yet to watch this movie? Oh, shame. Can we just like publicly like shame? So, okay. If you have not yet seen this movie, I've actually done some work for you. Uh, it is still being shown at the Phoenix Theaters. It's a, it's a theater by Woodland Mall. Those are the showtimes for today. Uh, so uh, go ahead and screenshot. You still have time. Uh, and I, I get like 10.20. You could leave right now. But uh, 10.20, is gonna, you're going to be tight. But uh, 1.15, like the lines are on at 1. So like we, I might as well just X that one off. But you could celebrate a fresh win at 4.20. Uh, watching Top Gun 2. So, okay, Maverick. Maverick. Maverick is played by Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the hypocrite. He's the actor who plays the role of Maverick. So in the movie, Tom Cruise is saying the things Maverick would say, right? In the movie, Tom Cruise is doing the things Maverick would do because Tom Cruise wants to convince you in the movie he's Maverick. Right? So he's, he's doing the things Maverick would do. He's saying the things Maverick would say. Is Tom Cruise Maverick? No. He's doing it because he's trying to convince you of something. So Jesus is looking at the Pharisees saying, you are a bunch of actors. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're, doing, you're saying the right things. Right? A lot of times you're, you're doing the right things, but the reason you're doing it is off. Uh, the what? Listen, listen to them. Listen to them. But don't be like them because their why is bankrupt. Their why is off. And so Jesus, uh, lists, he, he goes into this list of woes. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in the 90s, so when I hear the word woe, like there's immediately an image that comes to mind. All right, it's Joey Blossom, right? The, whoa, like, woe is a shocking surprise. Uh, I've, I've said a bunch of woes in the last six weeks. Uh, we started talking about the Lions. We might as well put them back up, right? Like, uh, the first four weeks of the season, are, are, do we have Lions fans? 
Come on. So the first four weeks of the season was like, whoa, like we're amazing. Like our record doesn't show us, but like nobody can stop us. And then we met New England two weeks ago. I was like, whoa, like this thing came off the rails, right? But like, we're back at it. We turn the season around today. Let's go. So uh, Jesus, though, when he launches into his, his list of woes, it's the W-O-E. It's the like, wah, wah, woes. Like, you don't want these woes directed at you. But when Jesus goes into his list of woes, his audience they wouldn't have grown up hearing Joey and Blossom give a list of woes, but they would have grown up hearing a list of woes because there's a list of woes in their scriptures. There's a list of woes, especially in, in a, a, it's a book written by a prophet, uh, about a prophet. It's a guy by the name of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter five, there's a list of woes. That when Jesus goes into his list of woes on the Temple Mount to the Pharisees, his audience is going to be thinking back to Isaiah. So I want to show you Isaiah in order to understand Jesus. But in doing so, I have two jobs for you. Okay? Two jobs. Uh, let's put them on the screen. One, count the number of woes. Okay, Isaiah 5, count the number of woes. And two, let's together kind of try to figure out a summary word. What is, what is Isaiah critiquing about the religious leaders? Because a little bit of context, Isaiah, already before Isaiah 5, he's compared Israel to a vineyard. And he's talked about how the religious leaders are the ones who are supposed to be caring for the vineyard, but they're not. Uh, Jesus will use similar imagery, but Isaiah uh, he will then launch into this list of woes in Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, let's start with them. Uh, so do you remember your jobs? Okay. All right. First, woe to you who add house to house and join field to field until no space is left and you live alone in the land. He's, he's critiquing the re religious leaders saying, you keep accumulating houses, you keep accumulating fields so that you're pushing everybody else Oh, you have much when everybody else has little. Uh, he continues. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. And can we just name like inflamed is like a really fancy way of saying drunk. Like I, I, I kind of dig it. They're inflamed with wine. So question, in a world where you have the wealthy rich elite and you have the working class, if the religious leaders are waking up early to run after drinks and staying up late inflamed with wine, which camp do they belong to? The wealthy elite, right? What are they not doing? They're not. So, okay, let's continue. Uh, next one. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with cart ropes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks and acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Okay, our two jobs. How many woes did you count in Isaiah 5? Six. Okay, there are six woes in Isaiah 5, and then a summary word. What might Isaiah be critiquing? Okay, well, if, 
if we read the book of Isaiah and we look at the woes within the book of Isaiah, it feels like one of the things Isaiah is critiquing is the, the greed of the religious leaders. You're supposed to be for the people. You're supposed to be tending to the vineyard that is the people. But instead, what you're doing is just taking and taking and taking and leaving nothing for anybody else. So six times in Isaiah, a woe is pronounced largely uh, around the greed of the religious establishment, of the religious leadership. Uh, Jesus then, Jesus standing on the Temple Mount, he launches into his list of woes. His audience, knowing Isaiah's list of woes, they're paying attention. And so what I want to do is the same job, we're going to do it one more time, okay? So we're now going to look at Jesus' list of woes in Matthew 23. Pay attention, how many woes does Jesus give? And what might Jesus be critiquing? Uh, Let's start. Okay, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by an oath. Essentially, this was a a kind of a trick that the Pharisees and teachers of the law would would do that they could make promises and then come back from them later. Uh, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, oh, that's the one we just read. Next one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which again sounds like Isaiah. Next one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Next one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and, des- and de- decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Back to our jobs. How many woes does Jesus pronounce? Seven. Remind me, how many did Isaiah have? Do you think Jesus' audience would have paid attention to that? Absolutely yes. Why? Why? Well, do you think they would have just gone like, huh, that's interesting. Like, Jesus just added one. Well, if we jump into what Jesus' world would have understood about numbers. See, numbers can just mean quantity, right? It could just go from six to seven. Unless numbers mean something more. And in Jesus' world, sure, numbers, they, they mean quantity, but they also stand for something more. So start, Isaiah, that number six. What does the number six mean to a good religious Jewish person during Jesus' day? 
Well, how many days did it take God to create the world? Seven. It, it took him seven days. Six, they recognize, is like, it's, it's a day short. Six is this number that like, it's, it's incomplete. It's one less. It was actually on day six that God created humanity who would end up kind of turning their back on him. Uh, six, there's a reason why when you multiply six three times, you get that number six, 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 which is recognized as this number of, of evil, of opposite of God, right? So six is this, this like incomplete. It's almost like, it's almost like Isaiah. Six times he gives this woe to the people, saying, turn, turn. Look at, look at the greed. Look at the corruption. Look at all of the ways you put yourself in front of the people. Turn from it. Because if you don't, it's going to end up consuming you. It's going to become who you are. And then Jesus, years later on the Temple Mount, Jesus lists six woes. Everybody there is paying attention. Jesus goes to the seventh. What does seven, seven represent? Well, if God created the world in seven days, they recognize seven kind of, it means completion. It means whole. It means fulfill. And so it's almost as if Jesus says, you've taken what your ancestors have done and you've gone further. You've taken the corruption of the religious leaders during the time of Isaiah, and you've, you've almost fulfilled it. You've completed it. That greed has become who you are. It's, it's how you live. It's how you operate. You took that, and you completed it, which is actually what Jesus says next, right? If, if we look at the end of the rant, he says, so you testify against yourselves, that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Those that Isaiah was, was critiquing, you are the descendants. So go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Uh, Jesus gives seven and a summary word. I would say if Isaiah was greed, uh, I would say Jesus in Matthew 23, it's, uh, there's some greed there, but there's that repetition of that word hypocrisy it's, it's almost this self-righteousness. It's this, this putting on this appearance of being this religious elite, but doing it for all the wrong reasons. That again, their what's weren't always, weren't always wrong, but the why of what they were doing was always bankrupt. And then we see in Jesus' end of his sermon, we see why Jesus cares. Why is Jesus so riled up. He ends it by saying this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and who stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus saying, how I just... How I long for you to see the truth. How I long for you to just come to me. And uh, so Jesus, Jesus, in this critique, what do we do with this critique? What do we do with this list of, of woes that Jesus offers the religious establishment? Well, I think, it, I think it should cause us to ask those questions about our what's and our why's. Right, the, the what we give ourselves to. The, because it, can we name that a, a lot of times religion becomes about what's, right? It's what you're doing and what you're giving yourself to and what, you're, what ways that you're serving. And Jesus says, okay, let's pay attention to the what's. 
But as we think about the what's, let's also, let's, let's not lose sight of the why, right? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why, what is the thing that motivates you? What is the thing behind the thing? There's what you do, but there's the why behind all of it. Uh, one of the reasons I was really excited to be here today, I went to him, invited me to come preach uh, this morning, and I looked at this text was because of how often I hear stories from your staff about uh, how much you guys are continuing to step up and rise to, the equa- rise, rise to any occasion, both in the what's that you're doing and more than the what's about the why's. Uh, the things that you continue to give yourself to, the stories of lives being transformed, of people being changed. And so as we, as we wrap up, this kind of mini-series in the book of Matthew, uh, looking at uh, Jesus bumping into these religious leaders, I want us to, to hold that question. What is your why? And whatever your what is, what is your why? And, and the push of the story is to continue to make that why something larger than ourselves. I'm reminded of a story it's a story, I think I first heard it from a guy by the name of Tony Campolo. T- Tony Campolo was a pastor. He turned into this uh, philosophy professor. Uh, but Tony Campolo tells a story in which he overheard two people uh, talking about a, a new pastor their church had just got. And so uh, he's overhearing this, this one guy says, hey, our church, we just got this new pastor. He's, he's amazing. He's nothing like the old guy. Okay. So like, tell me about the old guy. Well, the old guy, every Sunday, he would stand on a stage and he would tell us that, that we're no good sinners, that we're good for nothing, and on our own, we could never be good enough. Oh, man, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds rough. Well, tell me about the new guy. Well, the, the new guy, he's, he's great. He stands on a stage every week and he tells us that we're no good, we're sinners, we're good for nothing, and that on our own, we'll never be good enough. The guy goes, hold on. It, the second guy sounds a whole lot like the first guy, doesn't he? And the response is, well, yeah. But the second guy, every time he says it, he says it with a tear in his eye. Uh, the what's the same, but the why could not be more different. Uh, so as we take off from today, uh, may we be asking the question of what, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you give yourselves to the things you do? And may that why be greater than ourselves. May that why point us And may that why point others to Jesus. Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, God, we thank you for uh, the scriptures, for the ways you continue to reveal yourself to us, for the way uh, you continue to call us to take next steps, to leave wherever we are today, to take next steps to follow you uh, even more closely. Uh, God, we pray uh, that you would you would show us those steps. We pray that you would give us the courage, the strength, uh, the ability to follow you faithfully wherever it is you're calling us to go. Uh, We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. 
And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.